All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and as I like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And I should mention that it is now time, if you're interested in coming into Chen's letter, uh, that you do so immediately. He will be accepting new subscribers the first uh, first half of January, actually, beginning the first business day of January. If you've put your name on a waiting list, then you're eligible to sign up for Chen's list. And I think there are quite a few spaces available to start the next quarter. So uh, go to miningstocks.com to do that, to put your name on the waiting list, uh, miningstocks.com. And as I like to tell you, uh, that's where you can subscribe to my newsletter as well, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Also, I'd like to uh, encourage you to continue sending along your questions and comments, criticisms, praises, whatever is on your mind. Send them along to uh, questions4taylor at gmail.com. That's questions number 4 taylor gmail.com. Uh, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows on the Voice America Business Channel. We also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are Avino Silver and Gold, uh, that is Avino Silver and Gold Mines, Columbus Gold Corp., Cornerstone Capital, and Dynacor Gold Mines. I'm very proud to have those sponsors with me. I, I feel very confident. Uh, I think all of them have great upside potential. No doubt the highest risk, highest reward one at this point in time would be Cornerstone Capital, which uh, is still in the early days of exploration, but they have uh, hit some of the most phenomenal intersections uh, in a porphyry system in Ecuador. Uh, so we'll see how it plays out, but that is uh, um, the the one of my sponsors that I think has, from its current six or seven share, uh, six or seven cent share price, has the most phenomenal upside potential. But it is also the one that carries with it the most risk. Uh, Avino Silver and Gold Mines and Dynacor Gold Corp are those are companies that are producing and producing profitably, generating cash flows, growing internally from their production, uh, and I like both of those a lot. And Columbus Gold Corp. is a company that has just a whisker under a half, uh, 50% of a major gold deposit being developed by a major mining company uh, in um, uh, French Guiana. And that is one we've, uh, we've talked to the CEO and we'll have him on again in the near future, I believe the first week in the new year, uh, Columbus Gold Corp. So I'm really proud to have those as sponsors. Uh, it's good to know companies that have a good chance are, are here on my show and helping keep this show alive and, and viable. Um, 
regarding the economy and the markets, uh, my inflation deflation index, which I report to my subscribers on an ongoing basis, it looks like it's rolling over. It is pointing towards deflation at the moment. And of course, uh, without getting into the definition of inflation and deflation, simply put, it, it measures a broad base of uh, of equity prices in various sectors in the global economy as well as key commodities like copper uh, and and energy. Uh, and so this is for the very first time uh, since uh, 2010 in July, we've seen the uh, my IDW actually turn down below the three-year moving average. Now, this is the first time since 2010 when that happened. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. We'll see which way it goes. Certainly, the Fed is fighting to try to keep equity mar- equity prices high. Uh, but it's, uh, it's a little bit uh, strange, I think, that a single word uttered by the chair lady of the Fed can turn the equity markets around on a dime and have them trading up several hundred points as a result of it. Uh, it's, it's kind of crazy in my view. Um, you know, I'd like to also just talk a, just a, a little bit about uh, Putin and the sanctions on Russia that were put there. When we started talking about putting sanctions on Putin and Russia, he suggested that there could be a boomerang effect. That is, uh, it could actually hurt the United States more than it helps us if we uh, if we put in sanctions. Well, we've seen oil prices have been hit very hard to the extent uh, oil prices are declining because of the influence uh, that our friends have and that we have with our friends in Saudi Arabia. Uh, that's certainly one of the views out there that that's one of the reasons that the oil prices have fallen. Have they fallen so sharply because the global economy, as my inflation deflation uh, index suggests, is falling off the table? Could it be that it's just simply lower demand for uh, for energy? Could be. I think that's per- certainly part of it. Uh, but it's very interesting. Now we see uh, certainly some marginal producers having some difficulty, um, certainly having some difficulty. Those that are highly leveraged uh, could be in trouble. And with a global financial system that is so highly leveraged, uh, it doesn't take much to turn things in the wrong direction or turn things into a, a contraction phase. So I think that's a very real possibility. It's one that I uh, that I think is is worth considering and worth preparing uh, for the possibilities of. But consider the fact, and I would just like to note uh, Chuck Butler of Everbank writes a, a wonderful missive, and I'm hoping to have Chuck on this show sometime in the early part of 2015, uh, in which he he uh, he commented this morning about the Russian ruble, he says, is, uh, is in the rally tracks again this morning. It is quite, um, it's been quite a ride, a roller coaster ride with the ruble this past week as it took a huge dip uh, and now tries to climb out of the depths of that dip. I told you yesterday about how China has offered to aid Russia and that seemed to do the trick as far as scaring away uh, the speculators that had been taking liberties with the ruble in the past couple of months. Chuck goes on to say, I think, I, I think it is important for us to take from uh, this announcement that China would offer aid to Russia. Uh, what I think is important to take away from that is China is taking over the title of lender of last resort. In just the last two months, China has provided $2.3 billion to Argentina, $4 billion to Venezuela, The IMF, led by the United States, of course, must be fuming right now, for they have been the lender of last 
uh, the lender of last resort for decades, and now China is taking away their business. You know, these two heavyweights have different ways of going about being the financier of distressed governments. The IMF demands reforms from the country they aid, which usually takes away sovereign rights, while China, as I told you yesterday, wasn't something in the return. It wasn't requiring something in return like the country's uh, resources. So that's what they were requiring, but not requiring people to change the way they uh, think and live and act and so forth. Uh, long-time readers know that I've, been, that I've talked about how this could play out in the United States with China, no longer wanted uh, our debased dollars in payment, but instead opting for something else that we have plenty of, like our newfound shale oil. But you see the trend here with China, it's very clear. In the not-too-distant future, we'll get to see how China plays this out uh, with the United States. It should be interesting for you your dollars, and whatever resources China chooses. Well, those are some words from Chuck uh, Butler of Everbank, and as I say, hoping to have him on the show. But I think it's really interesting to note how we, as Jimmy Rogers will point out next week when I have him on this show, how uh, our sanctions and our um, aggressive behavior towards Russia is really pushing them and uh, solidifying, actually uh, solidifying the relationship that Russia has with China and the BRICS in general, uh, which have been very unhappy about the treatment they've gotten through the IMF that's been dominated by the United States. So I think what we're seeing is a major geopolitical battle that we talked to Daniel McAdams about uh, on a regular basis uh, on our Wednesday shows. We will not be talking to Daniel this week uh, or David for that matter, because of the Christmas holidays. But uh, I do want to uh, bring all of this to your attention. I think it's very important, this geopolitical uh, battle that's going on, and it's very important from a, an economic perspective as well. Now, one other thing i like to just mention before we get into today's show, we've talked frequently about the jaws of death. Dr. Robert McHugh has talked about uh, his Elliott Wave analysis, but also a host of other technical analyses that Dr. Uh, McHugh uses, and he has been talking about a smaller jaws of death, that is a megaphone formation in the charts within a larger decades-long jaw uh, jaws of death or megaphone trans, uh, uh, formation. Uh, and so we've seen this equity market turn on a dime with the words patient, with the word patience by the chair lady. The equity markets have skyrocketed to much higher levels. Uh, and so the question is, is this jaws of death thing over? Is uh, McHugh wrong about this? Well, what he had to say yesterday was that he thinks uh, that there's two alternative possibilities. He could be wrong uh, in which he thinks we could see a 2 or 3% rise above the old highs in the equity markets, uh, or he, uh, in, in which case he thinks then we will head down within the smaller jaws of death and into much lower equity market prices. Uh, on the other side of it, though, we could see much higher uh, equity prices yet, and I think he's looking at 20000 on the Dow and 2300 on the S&P 500, uh, in which case uh, then we would be looking only at the major decades-long jaws of death as the main uh, target and the problem uh, that those on the long side of the equity market would have to be wary of. Well, getting to today's show, I've titled today's show Investing for Profits Without Drama. Frank Holmes of the U.S. Global Investors, uh, that is a publicly traded company, a money manager, it's the fund, uh, it's the money manager, uh, trades under the symbol GROW, um, 
he, Frank will be with us, and Jeb Hanviger appears for the first time. Um, I would suggest that if you're tired of high volatility investing and prefer steady growth in your portfolio, you may very well want to hear what Frank has to say about Grow, about Grow and its new product called, uh, well, we call it, or refer to it as the No Drama Fund. Uh, it is a fund that is, uh, that, as its name implies, is looking for steady growth and not the high volatility that you, uh, that you, that is so common in the markets these days. So we'll ask him about that and, and we'll also want to talk to Frank about his views on the economy and the markets in general, of course, the precious metals markets. Um, we will be having to go to commercial break in just a couple of minutes, and when we come back, I will be happy, really happy to tell you that for the first time, I'm going to have Jeb Hanviger with me. He's a newsletter writer. Uh, Jeb has a very solid background as a math teacher who also did some acting on Broadway, I understand. You know, I only recently learned to know and appreciate Jeb, uh, appreciate him in many ways. He is an astute investor who, uh, thanks to his belief in God, brings with him strong morals and a business, I think, very strong business integrity. Jeb has a strong fundamental grasp of the resource investment markets, uh, but he also uses technical analysis to help him discern uh, when might be a good time to get in and out of various uh, stocks that he's involved with. Jeb uh, also has been a fan of Frank Holmes, I might add. Uh, he, he notes that he has done quite well with Grow, that is investing in the uh, management company of U.S. Global Investors, and so we may want to ask Jeb about that as well. Well, we do have to go to commercial break now, but when we come back, uh, we'll be with Jeb Hanvigers, so don't go away. business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a low-cost, high-grade producer with 27 years of operating experience. In 2012, Avino resumed production at its historic Avino property and plans to be a multi-million ounce silver producer in three years. Avino is debt-free, well-funded, and has Sprott as its largest shareholder. Avino recently listed on the NYSE MX Exchange, trading as ASM. Visit Avino online at www.avino.com. That's A-V-I-N-O.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me for the first time Jed, Jeb Hanviger. Welcome, Jeb. It's good to have you with me. Thanks, Jay, for having me on your show. It's a real honor to be here today. It's an honor to have you, and I might say, uh, just a, as a bit of introduction, since you've not been on our show before, that uh, uh, just tell our folks that Jeb is an author, speaker, and he's a founder of Gold Tracks Trades. 
he studied engineering and mathematics at the University of Buffalo and earned a master's degree at uh, Nova Southeastern University. And after teaching technical analysis to professionals in southern Florida for over uh, seven years, uh, Jeb began a daily newsletter which grew to include thousands of readers from over 40 nations. And you can subscribe to this letter. It's a, a free newsletter at goldtracks.com, goldtracks.com. Well, uh, Jeb, I'd like to ask you now, we've had a pretty tough year this year for those of us that were invested in the precious metals. Pretty tough. I mean, some people are telling me it's the toughest in 30 years. Do you see any game-changing factors that we need to look at as we head into, uh, head, head into this year? In yeah, 2015. Well, Jay, yeah, Jay, you do. You mentioned about uh, 2014, and there were some game changers, really, in the second half of 2014. Uh, and, and, and related to your intro, with the recent turmoil uh, in the financial markets, what, what we've seen with oil collapse uh, 50% um, in a three-month span, um, and we've, we've seen the precious metals and the sell-off in the in the resource sector. I believe the recent turmoil is really the geopolitics here that you're discussing are so important um, mm-hmm. with Russia. Um, the, the when when Russia and the annexation of Crimea, the G7 nations said that they'll do whatever they can um, to punish Russia. Uh, and uh, this recent foreign exchange volatility, where you have on one hand a uh, collapse of the ruble and massive inflation in Russia. And in Europe and Japan, um, whereas you have a, a the dollar is strong compared to those other indices, but the dollar is really not strong. It's it's just strong compared to the relatively other weak uh, currencies, which are um, uh, which are collapsing. And it's important for investors and and people who are following this market to remember that now wars are being fought. Uh, without bullets, but they're utilizing foreign exchange in the commodity markets uh, to really punish these uh, uh, th- these countries that have been sort of threatening um, to uh, to go off, uh, off the dollar uh, as a reserve currency. And this has been going on for a couple of years, and I've been not- not- writing about it in my newsletter. Increasing trade wars were not just... Um, seeing it between Europe and Russia, but we're seeing it between China and Japan in the South China Seas. Uh, we're seeing um, the Saudis uh, boosting oil out- output, cutting the price to below $60 a barrel. And, you know, well, what this could have been is a payback uh, to Russia, who's been supporting the Assad uh, regime uh, in Syria. And concurrently, we have the U.S. central bankers uh, for the pa- uh, putting back on uh, QE or this taper. Um, so this is allowing dollar to rise. So this rising dollar and low, low oil prices um, is is devastating uh, to some of these nations that have been sort of uh, threatening the U.S., Russia, uh, Venezuela. Uh, but as you said in your intro, we have to be very careful how this is going to affect our own uh, domestic industries. Uh, the, the U.S. and Canada has had a huge boom uh, in the oil shale uh, over the past few years, and there's a lot of questions that remain uh, in 2015. How much of this uh, collapse in oil prices? You know, when Russia, inv- uh, when Russia, uh, the annexation of Crimea occurred, many investors were were expecting oil prices 
uh, to skyrocket. This was the same time when uh, ISIS uh, was, uh, the tensions with ISIS were increasing, and all of a sudden you see this major collapse. Um, and there's going to be some banks that are going to be affected by this because they're sitting on a ton of these energy loans, and I think that there could be some defaults that could increase in 2015 if we don't have a V-shaped quick reversal in these oil prices. Mm-hmm. Um, remember, the banks are already in trouble from the last, uh, I, I don't know how out of the woods uh, they're out from the real estate uh, 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 debacle where, in their greed, they gave loans to really anybody. Uh, you want the money, take the money, um, and uh, then people couldn't pay it back. So there's hundreds, uh, billions of dollars of bad loans uh, still being held by these banks, and uh, I question how well with the energy, lo- these loans related to the energy sector, um, if the banks are really uh, uh, in a dangerous situation here. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of factors that I'm, you know, going into 2015 that investors uh, need to, to have in their in in their in the front of their mind and. and the, exciting part of it is that really you have um, decade lows in the venture uh, and in the resource sector, and uh, whereas you have a almost parabolic move uh, in the equity markets, as you mentioned before, with this megaphone pattern, this volatility uh, at a top on low volume mm-hmm. uh, is, is really a jaws of death, as you mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Um, so investors really need to 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 look at this uh, time period to see how to re reevaluate their portfolios right now. Yeah, well, you make a good point. You make you make several good points. I mean, the the idea is that on the uh, resource stocks were down at you know at lows that are as low as anything I've seen uh, in a long time, and I've been around this this game uh, longer than you, I must admit. And uh, on the other hand, you have this massive uh, jaws of death that Dr. Robert McHugh talks about, this widening of the, the highs and the lows and, uh, and uh, how, what that historically, in fact, in his book, he pointed out that all the major declines that we've had in recent, I don't know, since 1930 have, been, um, have, have had these jaws of death formations. But of course, you know, Jeb, uh, the mainstream will tell us this time it's different. They're always they're always to find a way to keep pumping, just as it did in the housing market, to keep pumping. Uh, the game is is a lot of fun. The party is going strong. Don't take away the booze, right? So they keep they keep on keeping uh, people um, misinformed, essentially. I think, and so I, I think that's what what our job is. And I know that you you feel that way as well. So I'd like to ask you then, what how do you see things shaping up in two thousand and fifteen, given? Given these 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 issues, I mean, it's really the timing is to me is the difficult thing, Jeb. I, right. I have no doubt in believing that sooner or later the equity markets are going to come down and come down hard or substantially, and the resource markets are going to have their day in the sun again. But what is the timing of it? That's the problem. Right, and I think the way the way to understand the timing is to take uh, a look at history. The last time we saw this divergence between the S and P five hundred and the, let's say, the XAU or the HUI or the Venture, TSX Venture uh, was in that dot-com boom mm-hmm. uh, when the resource sector was completely ignored uh, and the dot-coms and the Dow stocks uh, in the late 90s, there was also a, a lot of investors were taking a lot large margin positions to invest in Dow dividend stocks. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember in the late 90s, and no one would touch resource stocks after the Venture. Well, 
Um, the XAU went from a low of uh, around 50 uh, and hit in 2007 uh, 200. Uh, so it, quad- it, it quadrupled uh, the last time it made this diversion. So um, when you're buying into a bottom, the key is is that you know you may buy, you may keep on buying, and it may be lower, but that's when you're when you that's how you accumulate is in a, um, a bottom stage of a market. And uh, what we're seeing in the XAU is levels not seen since the 2008 crash, not seen since since 2002. Um, could it hit the 2000 low a little bit more? Which uh, it, it's a possibility, but the upside here potential, uh, and that's why investors go, go into the junior mining sector uh, is the upside potential. And uh, it's crucial for investors to to remember right now that. The gold miners, the majors, um, are constantly on the lookout for quality projects. Uh, this, this that could improve their their balance sheets and their long term goals. They're looking for good grades, infrastructure, a favorable geopolitics, and you know the exploration industry has been suffering for the past few years with a lack of capital and being able to finance. So the pace of development of these projects has significantly slowed down. And that's why there's a potential for a supply shortfall in gold um, and possibly gaps higher in price in 2015. So mm-hmm. it's, it's an exciting time. Yeah, it is. And, uh, of course, it's, it's paradoxically so. It seems as though when, you know, when in your gut, uh, when nobody else is buying stuff is when you want to. And when everybody wants to is manically buying, that's when you want to sell. Easier said than done, of course. Uh, but the great investors of the past, uh, I'm thinking of Bernard Baruch, I said that one of the reasons he was so successful is he always sold too early. And uh, Rick Rule's another example, I think, of someone who's done mar- remarkably well in selling too early. But then he has the cash to go out and buy things. So I suppose, Jeb, you really do look at fundamentals, don't you? You, you use technical analysis as a timing tool, but you are probably looking for companies now that are really cheap, that have great quality, good, strong balance sheets, and uh, you know can serve this downturn, even if it lasts a little a little longer, is that your approach? And you know, that's exactly my approach. And you have to look what are the majors looking for, and they're looking for quality, not necessarily quantity. Uh, mm-hmm. In the recent M and A activity, uh, another point that's important for investors to re- realize is, is to take a look at the gold oil ratio. Mm-hmm. Uh, the gold. Even though gold went up to 1900, the gold oil ratio back in 2011, oil was also very high. This mm-hmm. cut into a lot of the profits and the ability for these large miners to pay uh, dividends because it raised the cash cost a lot significantly. Oils, oil prices are a big, significant cost for these major miners, especially these big open pit mines. So now the gold prices, if you take a look at the gold oil ratio, I have a chart on my on my website, goldstocktrades.com, that um, it, it's it's the highest it's been in years. So you know th- we may see a surprise out of some of the majors in 2015. Everyone's counting the miners out, and no one's going to touch them. But you know what? The large miners, Newmont, Barrick, um, they have some real high quality projects in Nevada, uh, where the most where they're the most profitable gold mines in the world, and. Yeah. And uh, they're going to have their costs. I think are going to go down significantly because the gold price has recently held in despite 
mm-hmm. the oil co- collapse. Exactly. It's exactly right, Jeb, and especially those that have bulk mineable companies that have to move enormous amounts of rock to get an ounce of gold out. You know, you mentioned also the uh, time for the seniors to take over the juniors. One company that I've had on my list is Paramount Gold and Silver, and they've just uh, there's announced uh, Cordial Lane is looking to take over them, and that sort of makes me unhappy because I believe that Paramount... Uh, it has tremendous upside potential with his gold and silver resources, both in Mexico and also in uh, in Nevada. But uh, I, that's, I think that you're right. I think there's going to be a lot of great opportunities. So then you look at a company like Cordial Lane that's selling at reduced prices, pick it, but it has a strong balance sheet, can go out and buy these assets. When I ask you, with just a couple of minutes left yet, Jeb, um, you had uh, some su- success stories in 2014 despite the bad market, I believe. Would you care to mention one or two of them before we conclude? Yeah, well, um, you know, it was tough to have success stories in gold uh, in this bear market. I do look at other metals. Uh, one of the big stories in 2014 was the Tesla uh, announcing that they're going to build a gigafactory in, mm-hmm. in Reno, Nevada. Uh, so one of the positions I'm a shareholder and is also a sponsor on my website, Western Lithium, uh, had a significant run um, uh, in 2014, uh, and part of that was the Tesla um, excitement uh, and their their plans to build a major $5 billion gigafactory in Nevada uh, near Western Lithium's uh, Kings Valley deposit, which is probably one of the best undeveloped lithium deposits in the United States. I also uh, highlighted NioCorp, uh, mm-hmm. which is I'm also a shareholder of and is also a sponsor on my website, uh, uh, I, I followed this for a couple of years. The the company it's a niobium asset, but niobium is, is a critical metal. It's used in steel to make uh, to to reduce uh, energy consumption, uh, and this is uh, one of the highest grade uh, deposits in North America. Uh, and most of the production comes from Brazil. And mm-hmm. uh, they had a key CEO uh, that came onto the company uh, uh, in. Uh, about two years ago, uh, or a year and a half ago, uh, and the stock's been up over 500% uh, since the recent, uh, the new management's come on board. And uh, so you have to look uh, throughout the um, the sector. Sometimes you have to look out of gold. Um, but uh, within gold, uh, we've had a couple of success stories with Corvus and, and Canamex in 2014, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. companies that have been able to finance good management teams, jurisdictions um, and they're responsible to the shareholders and that's what I'm constantly looking for and doing due diligence to make before they they uh, I, I become, they become a shareholding or they, be, they become a sponsor sure absolutely well that makes all the sense in the world because uh, you want to have the company's management's interests aligned with you as a shareholder unfortunately Jeb we're out of time uh, I wanted to ask you just real quickly uh, what metals do you look at in 2015? If you can, 30 seconds, if you can tell us. Okay, I think that it's the, the battery, lithium-ion battery, lithium and graphite is going to be a, continue to be a good, a big story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think the platinum group metals uh, are, are there's very few quality platinum group metal deposits in North America. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uranium has been doing pretty well despite the oil collapse. Uh, uranium's mm-hmm. at you know way uh, below two thousand seven lows when it hit one hundred and fifty dollars, uh, and and precious metals I think are really undervalued. So it's going to be an exciting two thousand fifteen. 
Well, thank you very much, Jeb. We are out of time. Uh, we'll look to do it again sometime in the near future. Thank you so much for coming on with us today. Thanks, Jay. It's a real honor. Uh, okay. Well, folks, uh, we do have to go to commercial break, but don't go away because Frank Holmes of U.S. Global will be with us right after the break, so don't go away. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Cornerstone Capital Resources is a prospect generator focused on joint venturing its highly prospective gold, silver, and copper projects in Ecuador and Chile. At its Cascabel Joint Venture in Ecuador, funded by partner Sol Gold PLC, hole five of an ongoing drilling program intersected over 1,300 meters, grading over six-tenths of a percent copper and over half a gram per ton gold. Cornerstone retains a 15% interest financed through to completion of a bankable feasibility study. Symbol CGP on the TSXV and CTNXF on the OTC. Investors deserve to start seeing greater returns, period. Creating shareholder value requires vision and a disciplined, fiscally responsible style. At Dynacor Gold Mines, we are proving how to fuel growth without shareholder dilution. Cash flow and liquidity levels are as robust as the company has seen throughout its history. Dynacor is a low-risk public company generating actual profits coupled with real shareholder value. Learn more at DynacorGold.com or follow us on Twitter at DynacorGold. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Frank Holmes. Uh, Frank is the CEO and Chief Investment Officer of U.S. Global Funds. Uh, we've uh, had Frank on before, and a lot of times I don't like to read people's bios again because I, I think I'm eating into some valuable time, taking away from the wisdom that they can uh, provide for us. But I do want to just pass along for those of you who may not know Frank, and I can't believe there's many of you out there, uh, that uh, he has had a, you know, quite an impressive background as a chief investment officer at U.S. Global. Frank oversees an investment team whose mutual funds have won more than two dozen Lipper Fund awards uh, and certificates since the year 2000. Uh, Frank was selected as the uh, 2006 Mining Fund Manager of the Year by Mining Journal. That's a leading publication for global natural resources. He is also the co-author of The Gold Watcher, Demystifying Gold Investing. He is engaged in a number of international philanthropic organizations, and he's a member of the President's Circle and on the Investment Committee of International Crisis Group, which works to resolve conflicts around the world. He is also an advisor to the William J. Clinton Foundation on Sustainable Development in Countries with Resource-Based Economies. So you see, Frank has had uh, quite a good background, quite an impressive background, so it's really an honor to have uh, Frank with us again. Thanks for joining me, Frank. Well, it's great to be here at year end. 
Yeah, it's great to be here at your end, and I'm hoping that you can tell us you're going to have uh, some good news for us in 2015, particularly those of us who have been focused more than we should have been, perhaps, in the precious metals sector. Um, let's, let's start off with uh, getting your views on the global economy, Frank. Um, so where, where are we in the United States now? We know we're told that the U.S. is uh, the shining light to the world. We have a, an economy that's, uh, well, it isn't doing as good as it should be doing, but it's the best thing there is around the world, uh, and that we're pulling ourselves out and things are actually pretty good. And, you know, you're a fairly optimistic person, uh, so I'm, I'm sort of believing that you'll agree with that. I do. Uh, when you have uh, such big monetary stimulus that we had for three years, uh, it's, it's now bleeding into the, into the system. And uh, we had a, a renaissance of an oil boom uh, that also led to it. And a lot of people don't realize that fracking just wasn't for um, North Dakota and uh, Texas. Uh, it had a phenomenal job activity, high-paying jobs across the country, like railway, uh, mm-hmm. all those handlers that move sand. So I know from San Antonio going to work in the morning, if I missed it by five minutes, I would wait 20 minutes in the morning for trains coming by, taking down equipment and sand to South Texas. Hmm. And then in the afternoon, uh, it's taking back oil. And Uh it's remarkable to see. So you have sand coming from Michigan, from Illinois, coming south or going west, going east. So there's been a a real, true, big economic boom that's taken place. All right, so uh, that that puts some color behind the numbers that we hear in the in the mainstream media to to know that Frank Holmes is going to have to wait uh, behind uh, the trains going by for twenty minutes if he if if he's five minutes late getting out the door. Uh, you know, Frank, um, I, I I'm a, I really wanted to ask you a little bit before we got in even into the economy a little bit. I'd like you to talk a little bit about your company, U.S. Global. And the symbol is G-R-O-W, I believe. And one of the reasons I want to ask you about it is because Jeb Hanverger, who I had on with me just a minute ago, uh, raved about how he made so much money and grow a number of years ago. I see the stock is down uh, considerably now from where it was. Uh, but, but how are things going at grow? I mean, they can't be as good as they were in the boom years, I suppose. But, but how are things going? And uh, what sort of net asset value do you have relative to the share price? Well, it's it's we have a very reflexive cost structure. So as costs go, as as assets go down, um, then our costs start to adjust. Just never as quick as we'd like. We have low salaries, Jay, and most of the big income comes from only performance and mm-hmm. the size of assets, and it's very a performance entrepreneurial culture. Uh, and we're no load, so it's not sales uh, uh-huh. as a culture. So with that, the stock has come down because the assets have declined. Mm-hmm. And the assets have declined from a peak of uh, over $6 billion to a billion and change. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and that's a function that, in particular, since 2011, you've seen emerging markets and resources decline. And it doesn't matter if you're a number one fund in that space, uh, the overall assets have declined. The other factor that's impacted growth has been no seeing nothing go up in interest rates in the short-term money fund space. Mm-hmm. And with that, 
um, all the factor rules and banking rules, etc., have put a real burden on the cost structure we can't re- be reflexive with. So we mm-hmm. end up uh, getting rid of our money funds, and uh, we have a relationship uh, with U.S. Uh, Bank Corp uh, for people to have money funds to go back and forth with our funds. But mm-hmm. we got rid of that, and, and then we basically had to shave out because it was costing almost $2 million a year to maintain money funds that, for that just cost structure. So we're, that's, that does impact. So you have less assets, but at the same time, we have less costs associated with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, I, I guess people could do their research on Grow, but it might, might be something at, at these low prices uh, because if we're, if Jeb Hanviger is right and, and 2015 should be a better year for resource companies, then uh, I suppose that would also reflect uh, favorably on Grow. I see also that you are um, looking at po- the possibility of um, starting, uh, s- join, uh, becoming a, a provider of some ETF products. We will have ETFs coming out. Um, and uh, which we're very excited about um, their factor model. So there's a they they do adapt and adjust uh, to the dynamics of the market. And uh, we were coming uh, with one that uh, basically got delayed with this demise of energy. It's high royalty, high dividend paying uh, income companies. Um, but it's always difficult to go out and be contrarian for people to have the courage. Most people in the ETF world, it's only when the fund or that asset class is a 50, above its 50-day and 200-day moving average yeah. that you see funds flow into it. So yeah. there really aren't many contrarian investors Lots of talk, but little action. Right. Well, it's it's uh, understandable because it allows people to to move back and forth in in and out of different places real quickly. So, but they have become very popular. But I'd like to ask you before we get back into some more economic topics, uh, the near term fund is a new fund that you've put into place. Uh, talk about that a little bit, Frank. What's uh, what what's the story with the near term fund? We like to call it, you know, from a from a positioning in the, in the hearts and minds of investors, our no drama fund. <laughs> and there's no drama because the fund's been around for a long time. It's by short-term tax-free, AAA-rated uh, munis. And um, there's several factors. It's a five-star fund. I have um, $10 million, and I've made a commitment into uh, uh-huh. putting my money into it it's because it's stable. And what makes it special is that in 14 years, it's not had a down year. So that makes it non-drama. But mm-hmm. the past is no guarantee of the future. It's always important, and that's a reality we all live with. Maybe they'll change the muni laws, but based on its investment strategy of how we use the volatility of markets with our quant models and being a scavenger opportunistic buyer, uh, we don't go try to buy the big you know, multi-million dollar lots. We will buy $375,000 because a broker wants to sell it. He's distressed. We quickly know the fundamentals of the, of the bond and mm-hmm. uh, we accumulate them. So we have been able to generate and what's really important for investors is that we have a story of two guys in the year 2000 are all golfing and one says, hey, Joe, I'm going to put $100,000 in the S&P. Uh, it's been unbelievable. 18.5% compound rate of return for the past decade. It's almost a triple. And his friend says, you know what? I'm retiring in 10 years and I think I'm going to be a little more cautious with my $100,000 bonus. I'm going to put it into short-term tax-free, near-term. Well, the guy in the S&P lost 40% of his money. And then it took him 
basically seven years to get back to break even. Uh-huh. And then 2008 came along, and he lost 40% again. Yeah. And it wasn't until 2012 that he finally broke even with his hundred grand, and now he's 67 years old. Well, yeah. the, other, the other personality, he turns around every year, he's been up, and he's not had to deal with that emotional volatility. So mm-hmm. we've tried to educate investors that they should not have all their money in one asset class. Like we've always written about gold, 10% in gold, not 100%. You put 10% and you rebalance each year, and you have money in the stock market. And with these low interest rates, near term is even more attractive because the yield is substantially higher than any money fund, and to lower its volatility, it's a $2 NAV. So that means that penny motion very seldom happens. So you mm-hmm. can have underlying lots of volatility in the, in the capital markets, but a $10 fund, if it moves uh, five pennies, is before a $2 fund is going to move one penny. Sure. Yeah. And so it's structured that way to be a safe harbor to put your money and to and if you need an opportunity to go buy a house or buy a car or make more investments because gold is down this year, then you rebalance and you can buy gold. So near term is one of those great core products that someone should have for the investments and in this low interest rate environment. And I don't think rates are going to be able to rise quickly next year because the fiscal drag and regulations are so great. Last year when rates went to rise, track housing immediately came to a halt. Mm-hmm. So, and, and Bernanke came out, and, and it was a Wall Street Journal story, that he had difficulty refinancing his mortgage because of all, yeah. all the rules he wasn't aware of. So yeah. I think that fiscal drag, as they like to call the regulations and banking, etc., we're going to have to take years to digest them all, and Frank Dodd. And that means we're going to live with cheap interest rates, and that's what happened in Japan looking back 24 years ago. So the cheap rates will come because of a uh, the drag in the economy, the fiscal drag, and uh, a lackluster economy, possibly? Yes, and so any spike in interest rates merely curtail buying. Uh, yeah. People don't qualify. I was told last year when markets started to pick up in the fall that all these people that put down money for track housing because of the oil boom, that, that 50 basis points move in the, th- in the 30-year mortgage, they no longer qualified. They just wow. qualify because they have to have so much money up. They have, it's a much higher ratio of income to interest payment. Right. So even right. though rates are cheaper, they didn't qualify. So all of a sudden, you saw the government come in and start buying mortgages with their program to get rates back down to maintain economic stability. Yeah, that's incredible. It's really incredible when you think about the as low as rates are now. And Frank, you know, I'm, you and I have been around for a while. I a little longer than you, I think. And I remember very clearly, uh, seven, my first mortgage is seventeen and a half percent mortgage here in New York City. And I can't imagine, uh, you know, if we went to just six or seven percent, it would start knocking people. I mean, it's, it's just an, it's just unfathomable. So I I think you're right about that. I, and you know, the biggest probably the people and the friends of mine that have been most wrong. For the longest, or not even those that bet on gold, but those that bet on the uh, on the decline in the U.S. Treasuries. So, I mean, on the decline in the yields of the U.S. or the rise of the yields U.S. Treasuries. So, yeah, I think you're you're probably right uh, about that. But uh, so the U.S. economy is doing fairly well for various reasons, but we're going to continue to have low interest rates. So, um, certainly, though, Frank, an awful lot of people unemployed, and it isn't the economy that we used to know, though, is it? No, it's not. It's it's changed a lot, and and change has it favors those who have the first mover advantage that have that interest of adapting and adjusting. Just like mm-hmm. in my business, the ETFs are Uberizing 
um, the industry. Mm-hmm. Now, it would be, um, I, I uh, just like the, you know, having a medallion. Yeah, Uberize it. I, yeah. So, now, one of the things with the near term is that we did the analysis. You can't ETF that because we, at times, may have 20% cash of fund flows because we use volatility of the interest rates. So, there's mm-hmm. this in, in DNA of volatility, which we've gone back over 30 years of data, and we maximize uh, and we understand. So, that's helped us get a five-star ranking. Mm-hmm. But with an ETF, it's all in, all out, all in, all out. And right. uh, so there's some pockets where uh, mutual funds are going to be able to maintain their competitive advantage. I see. Okay. Very good point. All right. Um, you know, you have something called the China Region Fund. You, you, you know, you told us now what your views are in the U.S. economy. Uh, the China Regional Fund, how do you view that part of the world, you know, because a few, you know, after 2008, 2009, we, we sort of depended on China uh, to be the engine of the world's economy and to pull us out of the depths of despair after the Lehman Brothers debacle. So how do you see China now? And, uh, you know, what, what is your reading of it, given I'm sure you have uh, spent some time and you, you and your staff thinking about this because you're of the China region fund. So what, what are your thoughts about China now and its economy? Well, China's going through a big transition, and it's very important to, to appreciate with how they're positioning themselves. They've gone after um, corruption, political corruption, mm-hmm. and, and people are sort of cynical about it. However, it's, it's showing up in Macau. Last yeah. year this time, the best-performing stocks were American casinos. Unbelievable. And, and their winnings and money they're making from Macau were home runs. Now it's been a disaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, luxury goods in the, in the discretionary economy, um, that those stocks have taken on the chin. Uh, consumer staples have uh, far outperformed discretionary uh, high-end products. And you read uh, what they've commented on is that it's, there's no doubt the clamping down of correcting that economy and stabilizing, it's in motion. Um, and how they're repositioning for consumption domestically. The hot stocks have been their technology stocks, uh, stocks where, and their railway, their, their, their super light railway system that they're building all through China and mm-hmm. the subways. That have been, their pockets of incredible strength. The finance sector is also the banks have been on a tear. And they've had government policies starting in the summer with the A shares, which were only for domestic investors. They traded a big discount to, his, to the ADR that was trading here or to the H share. And so they've liberalized that so that you've had this huge arbitrage. So the A share market's taken off. And now they made their MNB convertible into Singaporean dollars. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's something that's going on, even though, even though their GDP has slowed down from exports and big infrastructure, big infrastructure projects, there's been a contraction there, but the overall economy seems to have been shift and turn. Now, what mm-hmm. we are most concerned with when we follow China with the resource sector funds, which have been had a real challenging time, is what's called PMI, Purchasing Manufacturers Index. And on our website, I've published several articles on this of going back and looking at what happens when the one-month PMI goes above the three months as a trend, Positive, and what happens when the one month goes below the three months? So uh-huh. JP Morgan does a global PMI, and the global PMI is highly correlated to that it reflects the demand for commodities, because the PMI means 
that a survey of manufacturers saying we're going to be buying more commodities because we're manufacturing more for buyers that are giving us orders. So that's very mm-hmm. positive for the future. So with that, we have found in the summer the PMI went negative, and you start mm. seeing the commodities take it on the chin. Uh-huh. And whenever the one month goes below the three months, guess what? Oil falls 100% of the time. Copper, wow. 70% of the time. Now, when the one month goes above the three months, the oils and oil stocks six months out, the copper, they rise between 60 and 75% of the time. But huh. when it goes below, it does have a much bigger negative impact. So it's so important to be able to track that, and we still don't have what we had in 2006 and seven, where the world was synchronized, where the global PMI was robust and strong, and global GDP was running at 3%, but the, the PMI was always positive. Now we have this asynchronous type of market. That is, China's strong, America's weak. America's strong, China's weak. Um, Mm -hmm. And the real drag has been Europe. And there's more trade between Europe and China, in fact, than there's between America and China. So the fact that Europe is struggling is greatly impacting China's manufacturing, Mm -hmm. which affects the PMI, which affects... So you do have this sort of factor that's driving. But what's positive about all this is we are experiencing one of the most significant global tax breaks. Not by government. It's basically this drop in the price of oil, uh, when you take a look where America's economy is, it will affect fracking, it will affect our oil industry here, but it is a $350 billion tax break globally. Mm. Japan, Taiwan, Thailand, uh, Vietnam, India, Chindia alone, they're both... 40% of the world's population, and they are net oil importers. Indonesia, which produces oil, is a net oil importer. Mm. So you're having a huge tax break for South Africa, which is the biggest economy in Africa. Um, and I think that we're going to start seeing in six months from now a, a, a renaissance in these economies. Just like we're seeing consumer spending in America, Walmart, etc. We've said, buy Tiffany's. You're worried about gold? You're worried about the resource? Buy Tiffany's. Stock's hitting 52-week highs. Very interesting. Well, speaking of gold, then uh, with just three and a half minutes or so left, what is your outlook for 2015? We've had a couple of pretty rough years. Well, really disappointing for many. It's disheartening. Um, last year we wrote that it's only three times in three decades we'd had three years where gold stocks were down. Now we're going to have the fourth year. This is unprecedented. Um, seeing uh, we had a gra- great rally last year in the first six months, and then it rolled over and fell. Uh, I think the key factor is interest rates. If you look at when gold peaked at 1900, the 10-year U.S. government bond had a minus 3%. You, you're going to lock in a 3% negative rate of return over 10 years. Mm-hmm. Today, it's plus 50 basis points. Mm-hmm. So there's an inverse relationship so that any time the 10-year is negative, gold goes up. Any time the rates are positive, gold goes down. So it's a factor of what will interest rates do positive or negatively next year. And I think they're going to stable. I think we're going to have um, low interest rates. I think gold is going to find a place to stabilize. But I think you're going to start seeing a shrinkage of supply from the mines. And I think you're going to see that China and India, this big tax break, will see GDP per capita showing up in their economies. And we'll get back that love trade, which will be more positive for gold. 
Now, the DNA of volatility of gold, it's a non-event for gold to go plus or minus $150. It's this normal DNA volatility. So gold could run, you know, tri- trip down to a $1,000 level or it could easily go back over 1350 That mm-hmm. would just be as normal. Is it going to 1900 I don't think so unless we get strong GDP capital growth, that PMI, very positive emerging countries, and we have negative interest rates in America. All right, Frank, just uh, with about a minute left, you know, I want to ask you the uh, oil prices, energy prices declining, as you mentioned, is good for consumers. I'm wondering uh, if you think oil prices will remain at lower levels, at say 60 bucks or so, that that might not also be very helpful to some of the major bulk mining companies, the companies that have to move huge amounts of rock to get an ounce of gold out. Might that be a benefit to the bottom line of some of the companies that are in your gold funds? That's a great observation, Jay. That's a great observation because for many of these companies, 35% of their expenses are energy. And uh, there's no doubt this will help uh, with, uh, with, with their overall cost structure. Uh, Chile, um, is, particularly the copper producers, it will have a significant impact and some of the uh, gold mines in, in South Africa. But I think the, um, uh, and in the U.S., but I, I, I think the real factor is in the oil space is we're going to see huge cuts in exploration development. And one thing about fracking, when you hit a thousand barrels a day a year later, there's only a hundred barrels a day coming out of that well. So yeah. if you cut down on that exploration, the overall surplus we've had of, exp- of producing oil, it will decline rapidly, and then you'll see the price of oil firm back up, probably to seventy, eighty dollars. Okay, Frank, unfortunately, we're out of time. Um, really great to talk to you again. So much more to cover. I hope we can have you on again sometime in the near future. Thanks for joining me today. Wishing everyone health and wealth in 2015. Thank you, Frank. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you next year. Thank you very much. Well, folks, that's all the time we have today. Next week, we have Jim Rogers coming on. He's going to be our guest. Uh, yeah, we're gonna, he's going to talk about Russia. He's sort of warming up to Russia, interestingly enough. And Eric Coffin will be with me as well to talk about some of his favorite gold mining stocks and other mining companies. So I do want to thank our sponsors. I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank Tacey Trump, my producer, Matt Weider, my engineer, for making this show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to all of you. Till next week, goodbye and God's blessings. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a low-cost, high-grade producer with 27 years of operating experience. In 2012, Avino resumed production at its historic Avino property and plans to be a multi-million ounce silver producer in three years. Avino is debt-free, well-funded, and has Sprott as its largest shareholder. Avino recently listed on the NYSE Amex Exchange, trading as ASM. Visit Avino online at www.avino.com. That's A-V-I-N-O dot com. Investors deserve to start seeing greater returns, period. Creating shareholder value requires vision and a disciplined, fiscally responsible style. At Dynacor Gold Mines, we are proving how to fuel growth without shareholder dilution. Cash flow and liquidity levels are as robust as the company has seen throughout its history. Dynacor is a low-risk public company generating actual profits coupled with real shareholder value. Learn more at DynacorGold.com or follow us on Twitter at Dynacor Gold. 